0: Holy Spirit, you work through your word that you have spoken for countless generations. Come now and work again, even now in this place, in this building, your word is powerful. So use it and use my words. You might point us again and again to Jesus. In his name, amen. Some have described the days, the age, the time we live As the age of the influencer is that a term you're somewhat familiar with yeah an influencer is someone who has a large reach of influence and popularity usually on the internet social media and since enough people follow them see what they do they post they pictures videos things then companies can come to them and say, hey, if you showcase this product on you know, picture, so it's like years ago, commercial. Famous person saying, I use this razor, you should too. You know, it's the same deal, but it's the modern version of that. Showcase this, uh, and then you will pay you to, to do that. And so some of the uh, very, very famous people that, that you would know, athletes and others, make a lot of money on a single picture with them holding something that goes around the internet. But it's become so popular that that uh, very reputable studies show that nearly one quarter, 25 percent or more—that might be a low number—of young people polled aspire in life to be an influencer. So, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be? What are your wildest dreams? What are you? uh, So, uh, some of you trying to make sense of this—it means uh, in former days you might have said, "I want to be uh, a professional athlete or uh, actor or singer." Something that you know would be famous and give you a platform. Uh, Now it's I aspire to be a influencer, which means create a a channel for YouTube, TikTok, something get it a followers. It means popularity, means uh, showcase products, means money. So that's your job. But what you need is just that to be popular. So you can find uh, without working very hard at all websites of good marketing for companies to find the right tier of influencer for you, the nano, micro, mid-tier, you know, macro, mega, depending on how, how many followers they have and how much is worth paying them to, to then, you know, uh, promo your thing. To, and it now, that might seem wild to you, but it is. We do live in the age of the influencer, and, and the influences are powerful, but all, it all springs from having a wide, wide reach. Now, you might say, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Shouldn't we want to have a wider reach for good, for influencing people for good? Well, maybe. Or you might say, well, that sounds foreign to me. That's not me. Okay. But some of you, if you use social media on any level, which I do sort of kind of, That means uh, you've probably chosen, if you've ever posted a picture on the internet, you looked at a few and chose a good picture where you didn't have spinach in your teeth and you're smiling, uh, as opposed to the bad picture, right? You curated something. So social media, for, for many of us, for many people, we curate ourselves and put our good self forward. And whether you use I don't know, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, TikTok, whatever it is, you give out some form of a curated self. You see what other people want you to see about them, and you show people what you want other people to see about you. So, yes, it's your best pictures, your cool moment, your highlight reel. You don't really lead with uh, the boring stuff or the embarrassing stuff or the bad stuff. Now, you still might be sitting there thinking, yeah, that's not me either. Never use the Internet or something. Even if that's not you, if you meet someone and want to make a good impression on them, you will still lead with your strengths. That is, in a, in a job interview or in a, a networking connection or, or a neighbor you want to be on the good side of, you lead with your strengths, not your failures, right? You, you lead with the things that are, you're good at or what you're known for and your talents and your abilities, not the other thing. Now, why am I saying this? Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and Paul could have, has had this wide reach, wide influence. He, in, a, in a sense, in a first-century way, he is a sort of brand. He is a known person who is who is writing. Uh, the Holy Spirit is. It, inspiring him to write letters, write God's word, to preach the gospel, to guide the young church. He is, in the best way possible, an early church influencer, not selling stuff to make money, but to show people Jesus. And so, what does he say? That verse, verse 2, that flies off the page every time I see it. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ And him crucified. When you and I live in a world, be it online or in person, where so much is made of having a wider reach more followers, more likes, more clicks, more this, more that and we can even couch it in good terms of why that's good for the right reasons when everything is about putting the right image and having a wider reach, Paul says, No, 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 I don't want any of that. I want you to know the most important thing in my life, the most important thing I believe in all eternity, is to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What would it mean for you and me to believe those words? And yes, believe them in our heads, but believe them in our hearts as well. What would it look like for you and I to really... Take those to heart to to say, what does that mean for me on Monday morning to say, I've decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, that doesn't mean Paul went around and said, how do I forget everything else I I know in life and not, you know, and no, he didn't do that. It's his posture. It's how he's going to live. It's how he's going to interact with people. It's how he's going to treat people in a business sense. Paul was a tent maker and continued to do that at times, and people think in Corinth, to finance his ministry. So interacting with people, even in a business sense, by selling and, and, and trading, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul didn't say, Look, I've had the best education you could have from Gamaliel, teacher of teachers. I have the best heritage. A best of both worlds, Roman citizen by birth, but Jewish heritage from the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, you know the world, the word well, the world well, well-born, well-trained, well-known. Except no, Jesus had different plans for Paul. And Paul knows that when you follow Jesus, you actually follow a crucified Savior, which looks absolutely like weakness and failure, but it is the power and strength of God. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Not to impress, Paul says, not to impress you with great words like, uh, like many of the philosophers want, uh, great orations, great words. I, I don't want to do any of that. I want the power of God to come to you, and it's through Jesus. The one thing Paul wants you to know about Him is that He is found in what if you and I took that to heart? To, what if, in whatever interactions we have with people it, tomorrow or, or Tuesday, we thought, "Well, if there's one thing I want them to know about me, it's that I am found in Christ." Now, I obviously can't always say that in every conversation, but you can act like it's true. And even if uh, maybe your place of work or volunteering uh, prohibits you from conversations like, you, you can live and treat people in a way that shows that you are in Christ, and you have been crucified with Christ, and he lives in you? What if you and I believed those words and tried to live that way too? What if? You see, Paul didn't write Corinth about a church marketing strategy. And he didn't write them to say that their immorality, which... There's plenty of that later in, in 1 Corinthians he's writing about, that it's threatening his apostolic brand or threatening his tent sales. Probably could have in good conscience written that, but he didn't. And he didn't write them about how he was strategizing his apostleship to have a bigger reach to a wider audience with more clicks, more views, more retweets, more followers. What does Paul do? He says, I, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's enough. For Paul and for everyone else who truly meets Jesus, to know him and to know Christ crucified, it, it's enough. And, it, and it's more than enough. It is a worthy life goal. And so on the one hand, it's strange to, for Christians to say that weakness is actually a strength. But he's just gotten done saying, the power of God comes through a cross. The thing that looks weak and doesn't make sense to to people is the power of God by which you are reconciled, renewed back to God, bought back, forgiven, reclaimed, restored. Remember last week I said, what do you see when you look at the cross? I said, I hope you see one that God loves you, but... But also that God leads you in a cross-like way. It means you follow, you and I follow a crucified Savior. And so yes, your life might look like it. And maybe the more, the better. To know nothing but Christ and, and Him crucified. What if we made that verse our own? What if we walked around this week saying, how might I live that out in new and better ways that I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified? You see, God doesn't need you or me to have a bigger reach or a wider influence. God doesn't need you or me actually to be more successful. God doesn't need that. God doesn't need you or me to have more followers, more views, more. God doesn't need you or me to have people saying nice things about us. God doesn't need your success. God wants you, the person, not the performer. And God is actually perfectly capable of running the world and your life and my life without our input and doing it out of his goodness. But he wants to know you. What if you made your life goal to to know Jesus Christ and him crucified first in your own life and to those people around you? You see, when you and I are are baptized and come to faith, the Bible says we are actually crucified with Christ. That's what Galatians says. Paul says, there, I've been crucified with Christ, so it's me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You know why I love that so much? I love that so much because it tells me that the interesting part of me is actually Jesus in me. And the interesting part of you is actually Jesus in you. Or when other people see you and say good things, godly things that they see in you, the good part of you is actually Jesus in you. Have you ever thought of it that way? Or the kind part of you is Jesus in you. Or the humble part of you and me is actually Jesus in you. Or the caring part, the generous part, the forgiving part in your heart and mind is not, is not me, but Christ in me. And the forgiving part of your heart is Christ crucified in you. All of the good qualities, goodness, the, they come from God. And so when we have been crucified with Christ, all of those good things are actually Christ crucified in you coming out. You see, you and I exist not to not to achieve or or perform, but to be loved by a God who was crucified for you. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Some of you may recognize the name William Carey. He is known often as the father of modern missions particularly modern Protestant missions, and he is known particularly for going to India. A phrase that people often say connected with him is, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. If you ever heard that, that's William Carey. Today, well, there's all sorts of books on him, though he didn't want attention. (laughs) There's all sorts of biographies. There's colleges named, universities named after him, publishing houses named after him, quite a big name. He was born poor and rather unknown in England in 1761 as the oldest of five. And his parents were weavers, but again, very poor. And so most of his education was self-taught. Quite smart. He was interested in science and languages. So he started learning Latin and other things at a pretty young age. But his dad had him apprenticed with uh, a cobbler, and learned to make, make, and repair shoes. And while he was doing that, he grew in faith as well. And self taught himself New Testament Greek, so he could read the New Testament while making shoes. <laughs> when his shoemaster died, then he took up that trade. Ended up getting married, but his life was hard and sad, including having to bury their two-year-old child. Eventually, then he became he left that and became a Baptist pastor. And the thought of sharing Jesus with people in other parts of the world always uh, pricked his heart and gnawed at him. And so at, in 1792, at around age 31, him and his family sailed to India to share the gospel. And when they got there, and in the first few years, life was miserable. Illnesses and One of, one of the only things worse than all the illnesses you can have in, in a new strange place are uh, illnesses without modern medicine. Loneliness, poverty, it, it was all there. And his wife even had a mental breakdown. And in the midst of all that, he was known to have said, well, I have God and his word is sure. William Carey learned Bengali and then trans- so he could translate the Bible for the people. And not only that, he translated the Bible fully into uh, Bengali, Hindi, and then three other languages I've never heard of and I can't pronounce. Uh, but fully into five, and then t- portions into twenty-nine other languages. And he trained pastors. He he opposed slavery and other injustices. And he was friends with John Newton, by the way. He wrote "Amazing Grace." And he was also culturally sensitive, way ahead of his time on that, and translated some Hindu poetry back into uh, to English to show you know, cultural learning and respect for them as well. So by the time he dies, at age 73, William Carey was a bit larger than life. And so people made a lot of him, he kind of had this mythic status, and so people began collecting uh, relics from his life, like, hey, here's a... I'm not making this up. Here's a cup that he drank from when he was you know, younger. Here's a pair of shoes that he made. or Here's a, a wooden uh, board that advertised you know, the cobbler that, that he, uh, where he worked. And it got him a little mad. He said, well, you know, the, the less said about me is probably the better. And he had this conversation near his death with a friend, and these words ended up on his tombstone. Right before he dies, he says to his friend, you have been speaking about Dr. Carey. Dr. Carey, Dr. Carey. When I am gone, say nothing about Dr. Carey. Speak about Dr. Carey's Savior. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. May the peace... If you're crucified and risen Savior, Jesus, guard and keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus.